The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. I just got back from uh, our trip, and I was worshiping in a church that would have understood dancing in the front of a church. <laughs> and I was kidding with them, like I've said to you guys before, if I can get a Presbyterian amen, which is just a hmm, we're, we're doing good. So some of y'all did well there. This is called clapping. It's biblical, allowable, and actually encouraged in church. It's encouraged on beat, though, so we could use some help in that area. But the fact of the matter is this. When you realize what has taken place in your life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it leads you to celebrate. God said to the church and to Christians, I've told creation to be quiet for a little while longer so that you who know Christ can sing out. But if we don't, he says, I'll let the rocks and the trees cry out in your place. And so the hope of the resurrection is that it brings to us a vitality of life. It speaks into our story. It speaks into our lives and breathes new life into a place for some of us uh, that has grown dusty and cold. Maybe it's dark. Maybe it's places filled with shame, confusion, exhaustion of trying to be good enough. If I was to ask you, What's your story? Tell me your story. Most of us would begin by saying what we do. We identify ourselves with our, our jobs, our careers, our stations in life. We identify ourselves by external things of where we live, where we're from, who we're married to, uh, all those kind of things. So when you begin to talk about your story, about who you are in the midst of your story, what does it sound like? How do you describe the main character of your story? You do realize that you're the main character of your story. How do you describe yourself? How would you talk about you? How would you explain a bit of what's going on, of how you have trekked through the different phases and chapters of your story into the current writing of the story that you're in. For most of us, we don't have a language that works, that we don't at least have a positive language. For many of us, we would say, I feel alone. I feel lost in the midst of the world. I'm just trying to find my way. I'm just holding on as best I can, waiting for Jesus to come back if you're a believer, or I'm just doing the best I can on this trip and wondering what's going to happen at the end of it. For others of you, your story brings out a darkness. You feel condemned or guilty, that you feel unworthy before God, that you labor under a sense of unlimited obligation. You try so hard to please God. You try so hard to please others to gain some firm foundation to find validation in our lives. 
For many of us, there's a sense of shame from our past. There's a sense of the fact that we're damaged goods. And we wonder how the people sitting next to us could really love us and accept us. How could God really love uh, and accept us? If we were really honest with the person who is next to us, who is next to us in life, whoever that person may be, and we shared with them uh, this depth of who we were, what was really there, our, our question is, would they, would they stay? Would they be drawn towards us, or would they step back a bit? For most people, that's your greatest fear. That if you expressed who you really were, if people knew who you really were, would they be drawn towards you or repelled by you? And in the midst of that tension, we live in what many people would call a pose. We, we project upon ourselves uh, an image that we have to then portray to the people around us so that they won't be repelled from us. It's sort of honest, but not fully honest. There's enough of us involved in it, so it seems authentic. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not really our true self. That we, we chameleon a bit, we pose a bit. We are this for that group and that for that group, and we come across. But at the end of the day, when we put our heads on the pillows, we're just tired. And when someone asks a simple question, like, tell me your story. What makes you, you? Or I phrase it to people regularly this way. What makes your heart come alive? What makes your heart come alive? What is it that when you begin to experience it, when you begin to smell it, when you begin to taste it, when you begin to step into that space, there is something that just moves within you. And you go, this is what I was designed for. This is who I really am. I grew up a a pastor's kid. A preacher's kid, PK. I didn't ask for that, by the way, but that was my identity for a lot of people. Some of you are PKs. I have the privilege of raising three PKs. They're real thankful for that. <laughs> Even yesterday, somebody introduced them. These are Bill's PK boys. I hated that moniker. So when we had the opportunity, or I had the opportunity to go uh, to a big high school where uh, I could now begin to be who I wanted to be, when I would, some of you who've been around the church have heard me say this, when I was with folks, when I was with the deadheads in my uh, high school, uh, I enjoyed the dead. I could talk that way, I could do the things that deadheads did. When I was with the preps uh, in the school, I had my uh, eyes odd and members only jacket. Yes, I was a dork. Uh, if you look back in history, but kind of cool if you were living it in the 80s. When I was with the athletes, I tried to be the athlete. We lived outside of Charlotte a little bit, and it was considered uh, the wilderness. It was just farm country. And so I was with farm boys, and I could try to play that role a little bit. I wasn't really good at chewing tobacco, so I used M&Ms. <laughs> you know, didn't make me dizzy. Uh, but I was trying to fit in. I went to college and it just got worse because I needed to figure out where I was going to be, but I had no idea who I was in, in the middle of it. And I graduated college and came into a, a deep relationship with Christ and my life was changed. 
I met Lisa and we got married and we started on our journey together through life. But underneath it all, I was still trying to figure out who in the world I was. I had a, a verbal assent. I had an intellectual assent to what the scriptures said. I knew the lyrics of the song of the gospel, but I hadn't seen the music come to life yet. Those things hadn't come together and my heart hadn't really come alive as it were. And it was all exposed one day when Lisa and I were in counseling. Uh, she didn't need it, I did. And um, we were there, and the counselor asked a simple question. Bill, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing for fun? That's an easy question, right? And I couldn't answer it. Lisa goes, you enjoy skiing, water skiing, and being on a boat. And it's like, actually, I hate that because I'm blind as a bat and I can't see the boat and I'm terrified that there's going to be something in the water between me and the boat. I don't really enjoy that. At that point in life, I didn't enjoy golf. If I wanted to lose money, I could find better ways to do that. Waste four or five hours out trying not to cuss and uh, be there. And then there were all these things of what do I enjoy doing? But it led me on a journey to bring together what I understood of the scriptures, begin to apply them to my life and understand who I am. And so this morning, on this resurrection morning, we're going to read a passage of scripture from 1 Peter. Peter, you, you may have heard of him if you're familiar with church and the Bible. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. And Peter was the one who Jesus said, I'm going to call you the rock. You're strong. You're going to go out. But what else do you know about Peter? What's he most remembered for? Anybody? Denying Christ three times. What a great way to be remembered in history. Oh, you're Peter. <laughs> you're terrified of that little girl when she said you're a Galilean and a follower of Jesus. And you denied Jesus three times on the night in which he was betrayed. The night when he needed you more than any other night. On that night, you denied him. And then later in your life, you were the guy who stood up and you exposed some of your racist tendencies when you were sitting with Gentiles uh, at a table uh, and you were okay with them as long as there weren't any of your Jewish friends around. But as soon as your Jewish friends came around, you separated from the Gentiles. And again, you were exposed in the middle of it. And now Peter is a leader of the church. And he's writing to the church. And he's saying, church, you need to know who you are. You need to understand your identity. You need to know your story. And so he gives us this word in 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen uh, behind me. So hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask now, bless this time as we consider your word, that you would teach us, that we would know who you are, and through that know who we are in Christ. Speak for your children. Listen. Amen. So who are you? The first question, the first thought today. It's important to have a proper understanding of who we are. And the Bible makes incredibly clear uh, a, a proper anthropology, a study of humanity. And it says that there are two kinds of people within the world, only two kinds of people uh, within the world, uh, those who are without Christ and those who are with Christ, those who are in darkness, those who are in light, those who are enemies of God, and those who are sons and daughters uh, of God. There's only two kinds of people in the world. There's not a neutral middle ground. There's no Switzerland. Uh, There's no place to wedge in the middle with a foot in both worlds. And it says in chapter 2, verse 10, it says you were once not a people, that you had once not received mercy. He's saying for many in the world, and for some of you who are here, you're living within a place uh, out of relationship with God, that you are standing upon your own, and that you are standing and saying, I'm enough, I am my own God, I am my own ruler, I am the, the captain of my ship, as it were. And we're standing there, and we're finding in the midst of that, the Scripture describes us as lost. Other places in Scripture uh, say that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, uh, that we were entangled and bound to sin in Romans, it speaks that way. Uh, that it says that we were lost, that we were in darkness, and, and that we're fumbling around within life trying to find our way. And for some of you, you, you recognize that, uh, that you, you see your life and you go, I don't know who I am. I don't know a purpose in my life. Uh, I don't see that anything that I'm doing has incredible value and weightiness to it. There doesn't seem to be, using a biblical word, there doesn't seem to be any glory in what I'm doing. The biblical word glory means heaviness or weightiness, significance. And and all that we do just seems to be, uh, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, it's vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It blows away like the wind. 
that it comes to nothing at the end of the day. And we work and we work and we work, and we're wondering, is there anything significant about what I'm doing? That the things that you want to do, you find that you can't do. That you go to sleep at night with a terror of wondering, what happens if I die? That we live with a constant fear of death in our lives. And we cling to anything that might give us a glimpse of hope. We take too many drinks, hoping that maybe we'd find something there. Or we take a drink because we want to numb the fact that this life isn't enough. You move from partner to partner, from relationship to relationship, hoping that maybe there in that significance you'll find life and meaning. If you're married, you go, well, this marriage is great, but unless I have kids, there's not enough meaning in it. And so you have children and hope that life will come through them. You start a career and you begin and you say, yeah, but I need more than this. I need another comma uh, in my net worth. I've got to move to uh, another zip code. I've got to do something else in order to bring life and significance and meaning. And what we find at the end of the day, that we're not free at all. We're enslaved to those things. They drive us. Uh, they cost us. They demand that the career demands something. One pastor put it this way, uh, that child sacrifice is alive and well uh, within America today. And I'm not talking about the, the horror of abortion. I'm talking about the fact that in order to get at the pinnacle of our careers, we have to sacrifice something. And for many people, it's our children. That in order to get what we think we have to have, in order to be satisfied in life, everything else has to be satisfied. Or everything else has to be sacrificed in life. That's who we are. We're lost in the world. And some of you recognize that. You feel it in your, your heart. You sense that lostness. But Peter says, that's not how it always has to be. Because he says and he speaks uh, that in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today, this event that we celebrate today, the most cataclysmic event in all of human history you have to deal with. You either have to disregard it altogether and say it didn't happen, or you have to say it happened, and because it happened, then I am going to have to wrestle with it, and I'm either going to have to believe it or not believe it. And if you believe it, and say, I believe that this took place, and I believe that Jesus Christ was who he said that he was, the Son of God, come in human form, that he lived the perfect life on my behalf. He presented his perfection to the Father on my behalf, and now I'm accepted by faith through grace in him, that now I'm a new creation. Now, all of a sudden, Peter starts to talk about these things uh, that we are. He's saying, now you are a people. Now you have an identity. Now you have received mercy. Now you have a hope that transcends this world. Now you have significance in this world. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you are a people of God's own possession. How awesome to think about that, by the way, to say that you are God's precious possession. What's your most prized possession? That if you lost it, you go searching around for it. The way we act, it's our cell phones these days. 
You can tell when someone's misplaced their cell phone, can't you? They freak out. Where'd it go? You know? Oh, no. I don't know what we're most afraid of, that we're going to miss a text or someone's going to read our text uh, on there. But what is it that you possess that is so meaningful to you? If you're a parent, it is most likely your children. If you're a spouse, it's your spouse. If you're within a family, it's your family. It's deep friendship. It's something. God is saying, you're my possession. You are something so significant to me that I pursued all the way through the halls of eternity to find you in Christ and to save you and to make you my own. And then throughout Scripture, I'm just going to read some of these things to you that tell you who you are. I want you to to let them hit deep in your heart. It says that you are alive in Christ, that you are complete in him. You are free from the law of sin and death, that you are born of God, that you are holy and without blame before him. Isn't that awesome? That one's really good, isn't it? How many of you, again, I ask this all the time, woke up this morning, looked in the mirror, and said, holy and blameless, perfect, righteous, loved by God? Did anybody do that this morning? Do any of you attend this church? Because I ask you to do that all the time. And instead, you stand up in front of the mirror and you're like, eh, eh, maybe spanks will help. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Instead, we're saying, you're glorious. You're loved. You're safe. You are so significant that God sent his son to ransom you. He crushed his son. So that he could make you sons and daughters. So that you could begin to know who you are. I am God's child and I am born again. I am God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am a joint heir with Christ of all of the blessings of the heavenly places. The inheritance that is imperishable that Peter says. That you can't lose. That it is stored up for you. That no matter uh, if there's an economic downturn in this world. There's no economic downturn turn in heaven, that your inheritance is safe there, that you don't have to worry about it, that you're more than a conqueror, that you are a partaker of the divine nature, an ambassador for Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Jesus, that you are the light of the world, that you are healed and that you are raised up and seated in the heavenly places in Christ, and that you are greatly loved by God. Friends, that's who you are in Christ. And if that appeals to you today, to set aside all the other wanderings and wantings and to say, that's what I want, Peter says, this is how you gain it. You gain it simply by faith in believing. He says that though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Christianity is incredibly simple. It costs you nothing. All we do is we say, I believe that to be true. That we say, I believe, Christ, that you have done what you said that you've done, that you are who you say that you are, and I place my trust and my hope in you. I give up my rights to every other kingdom. I give up my right to self-rule, and I now come, and through faith, not through your good works, by the way, it's good that you're here. I'm glad that you're here this morning, but God doesn't like you more because you're here today. 
You're not closer to heaven because you are here. The good news is that it's never based upon what you do or don't do. It's based on what Christ did for, your, for you. Religion is us working our way to heaven. Christianity is Christ coming down and finding us. It is through him. And he says that we were ransomed and that we are born again. That that heart that was dead within us is now a brand new heart. It beats for him. It has new life in him. That's the beauty of it. And with that, gaining it through faith by believing in Christ, accepting him as our Lord and Savior, all of a sudden now you have a greater purpose in life. Your story means something. Your small story now becomes a grand story because God is using you for his greater purposes that you have something more to offer in this life. That you have something that echoes truly and is tethered into eternity. Wouldn't it matter to you to wake up and recognize every day that the things that I do today are so significant that they have eternal impact? Would that change how you act each and every day? Yesterday we were at the Heritage. There's a lot of foolery going on out there. And it's people looking for significance within the world. There's a lot of foolery going on everywhere. People looking for significance and going, maybe if I do this, then I'll have an impact. And God is going, here's how you have an impact. You believe in me and let me take your story and make it part of mine. Parents that mean something in your family. Spouses that mean something. Singles that mean something. That your story is significant without a spouse. Your story is significant without children. Your story is significant if you're a widow or a widower. Your story is significant if you're old or you're young. Your story is significant because God says, I've made it significant. Because I'm going to use you in this great kingdom work that I have. And so here's the question today as we end. Are any of you tired of the pose that you're just worn out from continuing to try to be something that you know you're not. God is inviting you today to lay it down. That means for some of you who are not followers of Jesus, today would be that very first day. But for others of you, like me who was a follower of Jesus, uh, to come at a later point and to say, I, I'm tired and I need to know who I really am and to begin to live out of that fullness. So if that's the case... I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning and to ask God to do a work in your life. And then I'm going to ask you to do something today. And I get it. This is really not Presbyterian, whatever that means. But I stood last week literally in the sound of Muslim mosques calling out for prayer as we were serving the needs of hundreds of people and sharing the gospel with them And Muslims were stepping forth and accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, knowing that because of their profession of Jesus, some of them were going to die in the Gambia. It's not as bad as the Middle East. They do it more subtly in the Gambia. They just poison you slowly over time. The parents do for their children who come to faith. The spouses do for their children who come to faith. But these brothers and sisters in Christ stood there and said, we're willing to identify with Jesus today. Folks, there are no threats like that in our world or in our country. And so today I'm going to ask you, if you pray, would you identify with Christ today? Not identify with anything else, but to identify with Jesus Christ. So let me pray for you, and then we'll stand.
with him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that it gives to us, for the salve that it is to our busy lives, to our hearts that are restless and can't seem to find peace. And we hear these words that we want to believe so badly, that we're loved, that we are adopted, that we're ransomed, that we can rest. So, Father, I pray this morning that many here would pray this prayer as well. That, God, I want my life to matter. I want to find meaning and significance that cannot be found in this world. I come to you now in faith, and I repent of my self-reliance. I repent of my control of my own life. I repent of my sin, my failings, the rebellion against you. And I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I receive the promises of new life and freedom in him. Grant to me now the assurance of my salvation and the joy of the new life that is mine in him. And Father, would I know who I am? Would I know that I'm celebrated and loved, free to live in this world? And Father, when you know my heart, you're drawn towards me, not repelled by me. What an incredible truth. Would I dance and sing in the presence of my King who brings my heart alive. To him be all glory and honor. Amen.